We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated over on Fan Nation. I'm joined by my co-host this episode, Dylan Rubin King. He's a reporter for us at Ducks Digest. Rube, how we doing, man? Doing great, Max. It's great to finally be back with you talking talking some Ducks football. I think the last time we talked, it was mostly basketball, and it feels like it's it's been a while since we've talked, uh, you know, live on the YouTube. So happy to be back. Definitely, man. It's uh, I mean, you were texting me just the other day saying, "Hey, we, we should probably get some spring football coverage going soon, or like preview stuff," because March 10th is the first day of spring practice for the Ducks, so we're definitely going to have plenty to talk about. Uh, on this episode of the Ducks Dish podcast, we are going to be talking about the quarterback room uh, out there in Eugene. Um, I don't have my usual setup I'm in Los Angeles right now, so we're going to have um, we're going to be talking about the quarterback room heading into spring football on this episode. If you guys are watching this live on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Forest, thanks for stopping by and spending some time with us talking about the Ducks. I uh, hope my internet can hang in there for me uh, this show. Definitely hop in the live chat and throw some questions and comments our way to uh, kind of get the discussion going a little bit. But, um, I mean, Dylan, it's the quarterback room. I feel like it's uh, the one position that we never, uh, you know, don't have enough to talk about. So, um, I think, you know, heading into the heading to spring football, we're, uh, we're looking at an interesting situation uh, for the Ducks with uh, Anthony Brown exhausting the last of his collegiate eligibility and then some some pretty young faces in that quarterback room. Well, I think, you know, going into this season, like you said, you knew Anthony Brown was was wrapped up. Um, they had Tanner Bailey in the fold, and then he opted to transfer once Cristobal left. Um, and then you were just kind of left with Ty Thompson and Jay Butterfield. And I feel like a lot of Oregon fans were really excited about that, just to see who kind of, you know, gets the, gets the edge and pulls, um, you know, separates themselves from the other. Um, and me personally, I was really excited. I expected maybe you know, another 2022 quarterback or a transfer quarterback. I wasn't sure if it was going to be a guy that had been a three-year starter and was going to have, you know, two years of eligibility like a Bo Nix. So, you know, we've, we've talked about it a lot throughout the offseason, throughout the last couple of months, how Bo Nix kind of felt like a move out of left field a little bit just because you wanted to see, you know, maybe them prioritize one of those young guys and get them out there. But, you know, they go with the guy that's got three years of experience, a guy who, you know, has played against some of the best defenses in college football. 
And now it's this sort of three-man battle. And I say three-man because a lot of people are just seeming to pin it against Bo Nix and Ty Thompson, when in reality, Jay Butterfield, in my mind, has has just as much of a, a chance as the other two. And so now you have to see what does this coaching staff do? And you tweeted out a question from Dex Digest about, um, you know, what should the, the new staff prioritize in spring football? And I think one of them is how to judge the quarterbacks. Do you go from what, you know, what some of the guys on the team have told you about Ty and Jay, or do you start from completely from scratch? Because Dillingham knows Bo Nix very well, having coached him in his freshman year during his best season at Auburn, might I add. And now, you know, it, you have a whole new coaching staff, whole new offense. So you're kind of starting from scratch at that point, but you you kind of come in with some, you know, opinions and some knowledge about these guys. Do you go in and just, hey, let's look at these guys on the field, regardless of the name on their back, and see who comes out on top? Is that what they prioritize, or do they rely on that experience that Cristobal did with Anthony Brown? That's a really good point to uh, kind of, you know, peel back the layers on uh, this, this competition, Dylan, because I think you saw what relying on experience did for Mario Cristobal. You know, he thought he had the best option there, and and maybe he might have been. We really – we have hardly been able to see – Ty Thompson since he's been here at Oregon. So um, for all we know, maybe Anthony Brown was the best option, but I think what so many Doug fans are upset about is that we didn't even get to see Ty really on the field, even in the blowouts, even when there was no chance that the Ducks were going to get back in that game. Um, Cristobal just wouldn't put Ty in uh, or Gabe Butterfield or Robbie Ashford. You know, obviously we've seen Robbie Ashford transfer uh, since the off season started, but I think just the fact that, the quarterback position is another storyline for Oregon itself heading into spring ball is kind of surprising just because I feel like, I don't know, even though you're obviously bringing in new quarterbacks every cycle, uh, the Ducks didn't get anyone out of high school this, this time around with uh, Bailey going to South Carolina, like you mentioned, but it just feels like it's strange that, you know, we're, we're heading into the season and, and the Ducks don't have the, the quarterback position figured out. Um, I think that's a luxury that a lot of other teams, you know, really get to enjoy. And if you look at Oregon, they, they obviously had Justin Herbert. He was the, you know, the the best quarterback they've had in recent years. And then when Marcus Mariota was here, I feel like during their careers, like there were seasons that they were able to just enjoy where it's like, okay, we're going into the next season and we know Marcus is the guy. We know Herbert's the guy. But um, I think what's so, you know, big picture about this is that it feels like Oregon's really just a quarterback away. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. You know, we've talked about stability, how important that is for a program. And we talked about it with the head coaches when we were talking about, like, you know, the, the transformation of Oregon football, how they had three head coaches over, like, you know, 30 years um, in the quarterbacks in recent years. That's definitely played a big part of their success. And it's just kind of just been this, carousel of of other quarterbacks um aside of aside from Mariota and Herbert with guys like Vernon Adams obviously he had one year you know Anthony Brown Tyler Shuck Dakota Prukop Derry Mention Braxton Burmeister um you know you just have all these guys that you know it's hard to win when you just are plugging and playing a bunch of different guys and we've talked about it quite a bit how you know do you just keep recycling these transfer quarterbacks and try to go for the guy with the most experience, or do you try to get the next Mariota or the next Herbert? Cause you've seen what, you know, these quarterbacks that they recruit can do 
when you give them a couple years to, to, you know, start and Anthony Brown had two years, but um, you know, he didn't play into the Pac-12 championship game. And then again, in the Fiesta bowl. Um, so he really didn't have two years of starting experience. Maybe if he started day one in 2020, maybe things, you know, look better in 2021. Um, so I, I really think that it's important to develop those guys, you know, and get them a couple years because now in the day of, of, you know, the transfer portal, if a guy doesn't get the starting gig in, you know, two years time, maybe it's time to start looking elsewhere. That's just, that's just the name of the game now. Development's a big part of this conversation, Dylan, because I feel like that word gets tossed around all the time. Definitely want to hit on it on this uh, episode of the show, but I think one of the other like kind of overarching themes that I wanted to talk about that I kind of alluded to is like Oregon being like a program that is just one quarterback away. I think when when you had Marcus, like you know, you obviously got to the the first college football playoff, but um. You know, they're, I don't even, I feel like they were just kind of all out of funk in that game. You know, the offense was having some issues and they couldn't stop Zeke for the life of them. So even if Marcus did play better, who knows if they would have been able to, to, uh, you know, stop the leading on defense. But when you had Herbert here, you know, we talked about how he, when he got introduced, you know, to the college game, it was uh, in 2016 when they were just getting absolutely destroyed by Washington and the Dakota Prugop experiment was just an absolute nightmare. So then they're like, okay, well, who else do we have on the roster? Okay, let's give this Herbert guy a shot. It wasn't so much an instance of, wow, this Herbert guy is just undeniably talented. Like, we need to get him on the field. So I think it's just weird because the brand of Oregon football has elevated, you know, during the Cristobal era. And then, obviously, there's a lot of momentum heading into the landing era. But I don't think that, you know, it's a, a school that's at least currently really known for strong quarterback play which I would imagine as a fan is pretty frustrating when you're seeing some gems come out at, at other positions. For sure. Um, yeah. Kayvon Thibodeau on defense, Noah Sewell on defense. Like you just, you have some of these stars, CJ Verdell, Travis Dye. Um, you've got some of these stars that have just been coming in. And um, I totally agree that they're kind of that consistent quarterback away. Cause you saw like Anthony Brown, people will argue that, you know, they were a 10 win team and he, you know, he won them games and, and that kind of stuff. And I, of course, you can't really put wins on just a quarterback. I don't think wins are, um, you know, a quarterback stat necessarily, not in my mind, but, um, you know, if they were to have a guy like a Justin Herbert or a Marcus Mariota on last year's team or in 2020, um, you know, on that team, how, how good can that team be? I feel like if you put Herbert or Mariota on last year's team, you could be talking about a college football playoff because um, there's just so much talent around them. And, it just felt like the passing game has just been so underwhelming. Um, and I, I feel like if, if a Bo Nix comes out and, you know, he starts tearing it up or, you know, if they give it to Ty Thompson or Jay Butterfield, um, you know, and, and they tear it up and they start playing elite football, I feel like that's just going to give the Ducks the national spotlight that you usually see with Herbert and, and with Mariota because that's that's front page news when when a program like Oregon has – such an elite quarterback and NFL level, you know, NFL caliber quarterback, that's front page news. Um, you know, I feel like it, there's a little bit more buzz around Oregon football and, you know, that picks up on the recruiting trail as well. Like, Hey, you know, if, um, you know, if I can play with a guy that, you know, they developed like a Ty Thompson or a Jay Butterfield that they recruited and is coming in and just, you know, dotting it up out there, then I want to play for that offense too. I want to, I want to talk about the, um, 
the like ju- the Justin Herbert era real quick in that that 2019 season um, because it feels like that's the last quarterback that Oregon hit on or you know that was really prolific and I feel like kind of matched the level of play that a lot of us expected because I don't know if this is like too crazy of a conversation but just as you were talking Dylan I was kind of thinking okay the 2019 season versus last season um, you know the wheels fell off against Arizona State in 2019 and that's ultimately kind of what really cost them that uh, playoff berth. And then last year, you have a bunch of guys banged up all year, um, you know, pretty mediocre quarterback play. And then, um, but you see them hanging with the likes of the Ohio States and, uh, you know, really being able to to have that depth that you need to compete with these top tier teams. So I guess I wanted to bring that up because it's like, which, which year did it kind of feel more like a one-off, if that makes sense? Because Justin Herbert was great at a pretty good i don't even know how i guess that's the conversation itself like you know would you say he was good or great at oregon after seeing how hampered he was by by the offensive system um you know where where does that conversation kind of lead us because like do you if you have justin herbert on this 2021 team do you think that you have enough confidence in that defense to make a run i don't know that's kind of a cool hypothetical that i feel like could lead to some cool conversation yeah um you know, I, I feel like Justin Herbert's potential was not touched um, during his time at Oregon. I, I think you definitely saw all the flashes. Um, you know, you definitely saw the bits even early on of like, hey, this this could be the guy. Um, you know, early on, you know, you can't really expect a guy to, to completely take over a program in his, his freshman, sophomore year. Um, but, you know, going into his sophomore year, he was the starter. Um, and it was just kind of – a you know, in that 2017 year, it was kind of just like, Hey, he started before let's, let's get him out there sort of thing. And then he got hurt and they put Braxton Burmeister in. Um, And then, you know, that 2018 year, 2019 year, Herbert, you know, all the NFL talk just exploded. And, um, but at the same time, it just felt like the offense was not quite um, what you would expect for a guy with his talent, if that makes sense. And a lot of the talent around him was sort of lacking. There was a lot of drops um, you know, the offensive line play, especially in 2018, was pretty inconsistent. 2019 was a lot better. Um, but I, I definitely think that, you know, there, there's you look at the numbers and you say, hey, this is an NFL quarterback. But when you watch the film, it just, you know, it kind of tells a different story. Because I know there was a conversation not too long ago. Um, you know, Miami fans were talking about like, hey, Justin Herbert is, you know, a guy that can put up, you know, 4,000 yards and, um, you know, 30 plus touchdowns. Um I don't know if he touched 4,000 yards now that I think about it at, at Oregon, but I know that, you know, they were talking about like, Hey, he put up crazy numbers and he was, you know, an NFL caliber quarterback, even before he came back for his senior year. Um, why are people saying he got held back? Why are people saying like he didn't reach his potential? And it's just, you know, you watch those games and you just feel like he could have done, I guess I shouldn't say he could have done, but, you know, um, the team, the offense, the team. Yeah. The team could have done a lot more to, to help him. So to answer your question, I feel like, I feel like in terms of talent, he was more, so, more towards the great level. I feel like the production you got though was I'd say top three, top four quarterback in Oregon history. Um, but it, it could have been closer to a number two. I also think just another thing that made him so unique, especially now seeing him in the NFL, is like it feels like he has that it factor. Like, you know, if not I'm not saying he's on the level of like, you know, Brady or Rogers, like with like the game on the line kind of a drive, but 
I think that's another thing that, you know, Oregon hasn't really had in a while is like how much faith do you really have in the quarterback, you know, when you have to put him out there late in games to, to kind of, you know, win you a game or get you back into a game if you're kind of in a hole. So that's another characteristic of a quarterback that I think we haven't really seen at Oregon. And, and part of kind of just the last thing I wanted to say before we kind of talk about these guys specifically, I think that'd be a cool way to organize it is just I th- what we were saying earlier about how it doesn't really make a lot of sense that, that Oregon hasn't had a prolific quarterback super recently. I mean, I'm not saying that Justin Herbert wasn't good, but to your point, he like we just saw he wasn't even close to hitting his potential now that he's just balling out in the NFL. Um, so when you see them recruiting elite guys at all these other positions, and then they have recruited the highest rated quarterback in program history in Ty Thompson, but you don't even see him on the field. I mean, it, it's only natural for someone to be a little bit skeptical about, you know, the the quarterback picture. And, and I think that's probably where Oregon fans are a little bit because, you know, when you have all this talent in that room, but you're not putting that, putting it out to, to use, I mean, you know, what, what, what good is it? Yeah. It's like, you know, let's not, let's not go through the Justin Herbert situation again. Let's, you know, let's actually develop a quarterback in, you know, because I honestly, in my mind, I don't think Justin Herbert was really that close to like being a Heisman quarterback at Oregon. Um, definitely like a preseason candidate, but it just felt like, you know, there were other quarterbacks that were just on this love other level um, in terms of college production. Now, when you look at like the NFL stuff, that's to- that's a totally different conversation because Herbert and Joe Burrow going into the NFL draft were like, you know, not crazy far apart, even though the numbers were. Um but just like in terms of the throws that they can make and the talent and the decision-making, um, you know, the, the decision-making was one thing that people got after Herbert for, but, you know, and now I, I feel like one thing that we need to talk about and give credit to is, is the Chargers coaching staff, just because, you know, they've obviously done a really good job. And I don't know if it's, they're just tapping into this potential that Oregon completely missed. Like, I, I feel like he's just this crazy talented quarterback that, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that the Chargers were the one to develop them, like some people have said. Um, you know, I, I feel like he's just this unbelievably talented quarterback. And, you know, at his time at Oregon, you never really saw a whole lot of opportunity for him to, like you were talking about, with the game on the line and just deliver. And with the Chargers, you know, he's done that a lot over over the past two years, where it's, you know, he's down by a couple of scores or one score, and he comes down and delivers. And, you know, of no fault of his own, his defense was not very forgiving, especially toward the end of the year. Um, so I, I feel like if he was in some of those positions more, because a lot of the games that they won, they won by, you know, a good amount, especially in 2019. Um, but, it, you know, if he was in some of those games this year, like um, maybe even Alamo Bowl, you know, if, if Justin Herbert was out there this past year, um, when they got down, first of all, I don't think they would get down in that um and that deficit in the first half against Oklahoma. But I just feel like they would have fared so much better if they just had a guy that you can count on. And I know Cristobal probably would have made the argument that you can count on Anthony Brown. I think we all kind of know the truth that, you know, there was a lot of a lot to be desired with that Oregon offense under Anthony Brown. And Justin Herbert is, you know, there was a lot left to be desired too, but you want to get a guy that has that level of talent and bring out a Marcus Mariota level of production, if that makes sense. Yeah, and then also just when you're looking at the quarterback picture, like to have a guy like Jim Moorhead who's known for working with quarterbacks, and then that's the product that you get, 
it just it, I think it just rises raises some questions for for last year. You know how much freedom more had more had had to do what he wanted. Um, you know what was Anthony Brown the guy that Moorhead ultimately wanted to to be you know starting these games, and you know those questions are you know super worth asking now because you know it's on accident for Brown to twenty two. But um, there's actually one question I wanted to hit on before we talk about these guys because it's so important to this conversation, Dylan, about the quarterbacks with the discussion of college football quarterbacks. I mean, even NFL quarterbacks. But a word that you always hear lumped into the conversation is development. So I think we should give our best shot. And then I encourage you guys in the comments or if you're watching this on replay, let me know your thoughts. What does development mean to you? Because I think there can be a lot of different definitions here. And I kind of just wanted to hit on a couple things that come to mind for me when I think about development. Um, I think at the day, uh, the player leaves the program better than they were when they arrived. That one obviously seems pretty you know, pretty um, standard. And then another thing to look at is, you know, is is this uh, player capable of being an NFL draft pick or even a starter in the NFL? Because being a draft pick and a starter are definitely two different things. But you also see guys starting from, you know, first round guys to mid round guys, even some late round guys start as rookies. So I think seeing if they're uh, capable of contributing as rookies is definitely something as well. And then um, you know, is someone losing their spot to uh, an underclassman, especially a freshman? I think in a lot of these top tier programs, you see young guys come in and they're really high caliber recruits. And if they're, you know, panning out you know, early, then they're going to be pushing those veterans for their jobs. But I don't know. It's, it's, it's another interesting part of the conversation because some guys are so talented. You kind of wonder how much development is really done if they're just studs right away, you know, as freshmen. So it's it's a really overarching topic in all of this. But we've seen some super super talented quarterbacks, you know, come through um, and play college football in recent years. Like Trevor Lawrence uh, won a, a national championship as a freshman, I think, or maybe that was his sophomore year. But he, I know, he got to the national championship really early in his career. So it kind of makes me think, okay, well, that's a guy that's just a stud, like how much development did he really need necessarily like as a freshman? And then you have Bryce Young who waited a year, but it was behind Tua, who's an NFL quarterback. So, and then you have Joe Pro. Um, so I, I'd be curious to kind of see what people's thoughts are in years on as well. Yeah, you were, uh, I, I got the most of what you were saying, but your connection's starting to get uh, get pretty uh, bad there. But I can, I heard of most of what you said. Um. I think you brought up really good points about um, leaving a better quarterback than they started. And I, I feel like, you know, once they make that leap from high school to, to college, it's rare to say that they didn't just because, you know, if, if they have a starting job, I mean, um, you know, if they come in and they're a guy like um, Tate Martell and they're this crazy high, um, you know, high rated quarterback and they've got this crazy highlight reel and then they come in and they just don't make an impact. That's a different story. But when they come in and they're a starting quarterback and they develop, um, right, you know, they have a couple of years like we're talking about, you hardly ever see them kind of either flatline or decline um, when they have a couple of years. Um, so I think like visual progress is one thing I would say, like, you know, are they are they, you know, working through the progressions more? Are they, you know, avoiding mistakes more so than they were early on? Um, are they more comfortable in an offense? Now, granted, with a guy like Bo Nix having a bunch of different offensive coordinators, different head coaches, you know, situations change like that. But 
generally, you know, generally speaking, when they have a consistent, stable coaching staff, stable team, just kind of <laughs> trying to straighten out all the factors here, um, you know, do they, you know, avoid making those mistakes that they made before? And I, I feel like now in today's age of college football and the NFL and the NFL draft, it's hard to see a quarterback with, you know, the five stars, the four stars that won championships in high school and all this stuff that, you know, everybody says is the next this, the next that, the next great quarterback um, of Oregon football, for example, with Ty Thompson is what a lot of people have said. Um, you know, it just, there's this crazy high expectation and it's so hard to meet that sometimes when, you know, you just, you see the stars and you're like, oh, this guy is special. And you don't even have to, a lot of times people don't even watch the kid play and they, and they say that with, you know, and they see the stars like, oh, he must be good. People have watched him and they evaluate how good this kid is. They should know he's a five-star kid. Um, you know, he's special. So, you know, and that's fair, but you know, stars aren't everything. Look at Marcus Mariota and Justin Herbert. Those guys were three stars and they're, you know, um, Mariota won Heisman Herbert's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And so for me, I think the answer kind of lies in nowadays. I feel like it's, can you be an NFL caliber quarterback by the time you're an upperclassman? Like, I feel like that's where you can tell that development has been done because a lot like Trevor Lawrence came in and people were already putting him as a number one pick from his freshman year. Like that's, you know, that was a kid that was crazy talented and yes, he did win a championship his freshman year. Um, to your question earlier. And so, you know, like you said, I don't think there was a lot of development that needed to be done with him. Of course, you know, the high school level is different than the college level. And then that's different than the NFL level, um, as he's probably gotten the rude awakening in Jacksonville. Um, You know, some are some are more lucky than others. But I think that, you know, you have to kind of watch them progress. I think that's another thing. Like stats are one thing, but you have to watch like, can this guy handle, you know, a, a late game situation where they're down by 10 and can he, you know, can he strive under that pressure? Does he falter? Um, you know, is he a turnover machine? Is he working to fix that? Like it's, it's those little things as well that, you know, kind of scream, Hey, this guy's getting developed at this program to me. I like what you mentioned about the kind of the intangibles and uh, repeating mistakes. I think that's like one of the things that, was kind of frustrating some people, I think, when they watched Anthony Brown last year, just to bring it back to Oregon, is you saw some really, like, kind of, you know, gross, you know, turnovers, interceptions, fumbles, whatever it might be. Decision-making wasn't all the way there. So I think decision-making has to be one of the biggest ones for sure. Um, and then also looking at kind of how they uh, how they developed as, from, as far as, uh, you know, having mobility in the pocket, um, you know, being comfortable, you know, hitting their check downs or knowing when to take risks. I think that mm-hmm. is another interesting part of it, Dylan, is like how willing is someone to take a risk, uh, you know, let the ball fly deep down the field or try to squeeze it into a tight window. But that's also somewhere we kind of see growing pains when people are trying to, you know, throw it late across the middle or or fire it into a window that there just isn't enough room and seeing how their chemistry works with, uh, you know, with other receivers I think those are all really important parts of this whole conversation around development. We could do a whole podcast on development. I feel like just from what we've hit on here so far, but um, what do you say we get into some of these specifics um, on, uh, you know, Oregon quarterbacks that are in Eugene now and uh, on this roster heading into spring football. Let's do it, sir. All right. So 
starting off, I think, you know, the, the biggest name that, that people want to talk about right now, or I feel like just is the topic of a lot of conversation because he's a transfer. Bo Nix coming over from Auburn. Um, I think that uh, it's definitely one of those moves that, that makes sense, just seeing that they had so much youth in that room without him on the roster with Robbie Ashford uh, transferring to Auburn. It's kind of like a, a little bit of a swap, you know, and then we also had DJ James and Jason Jones going uh, back to their home states of Alabama. But Bo Nix had some really good plays uh, over at Auburn, and and I feel like, you know, you kind of take the good with the bad. Um, you know, there's some plays where you're like, wow, that really didn't work out. But, you know, then you did take a risk. And there's, like, I think about that once, I think it was a scramble that he had against uh, LSU where he, like, basically went from sideline to sideline and then just hucked it up. And uh, it ended up being a touchdown. But I think that's one thing I really like about him is that he seems like he's a really gutsy player and he's not afraid to take those risks. I think that was one of the things that I was actually kind of high on Anthony Brown for uh, from the limited sample size we saw in 19 was that he was willing to trust his arm and take risks. But that kind of evaporated in 2020. So I think his playmaking ability is, uh, I'd say, right on par, if not higher than Anthony Brown's. Um, and uh I'm I'm just I'm glad that they have someone that is, is dual threat as well because I don't think it's a prereq, but I think that uh you know a lot of these offenses in college football today really thrive on a quarterback when they have a quarterback that can uh you know hurt a team with his legs. I think Bo Nix, when I was watching some film on him, and mostly what I've been watching of him was that 2019 year with Kenny Dillingham, just to get a feel for his um comfort with that offense because that's probably the closest thing that you can relate it to what you're going to see next season. Um, and obviously things are probably going to change. It's a different coaching staff, different program. So it's not going to be an exact replica for sure. But, um, you know, the, just to see what he did with Kenny Dillingham. I think one of the things that I really liked most is that he is, like you said, a, a gutsy passer. He's a risk taker. But at times it got a little bit reckless. Um, you know, the decision making was a little poor. Sometimes you wanted to see him check it down when he'd, you know, try to tight it, you know, fit it into a tight window. Um, sometimes you just want to see him throw it away where he tried to do something with his legs and it ended up being, you know, a huge loss. Um, the offensive line that he had was a lot worse, especially last season, than what he's going to have at Oregon, hopefully, as, ever, as long as everybody's healthy. Um, on paper, this is going to be the best offensive line he's had. Um, I think his receivers are also going to be probably the best I'd say most talented that he's had um he had he had some really good receivers in in 2019 but I'm talking about like you know the ability of his receivers and his tight ends like just that combination of of pass catching ability and skill is something that he's never seen before um during his time at Auburn so I really think that he's set up you know with personnel I think he's set up for success at Oregon more than he ever was at at Auburn. And now you go to year two with Kenny Dillingham, where he's had different offensive coordinators. Of course, you're talking about year one versus year four, but you have a little bit of consistency there with familiarity with your offensive coordinator, you know, what his tendencies are uh, and tendencies are and, you know, what he likes to to do in certain situations um, and how he sees, you know, defenses and that kind of stuff. I think that's really important. Um, but in terms of Bo Nix, I think his ceiling, I've said it before, I think his ceiling is way higher than Anthony Brown's was or ever would have been, in my opinion. Um, you know, I, I think he's a guy who never reached his potential because of the coaching at Auburn. Sort of like what we talked about with Justin Herbert, maybe a little bit more because we've never seen Bo Nix hit more than 2,500 yards, more than 16 touchdowns a season. 
more than 61% completion. Obviously, you know, there's some accountability. I, I think he's, you know, at times you want to see a little bit more accuracy. You want to see a little bit more explosion out of him. But at the same time, I, I don't think at the same, you know, like we were talking about with Herbert, I think there was some coaching and some play calling issues and personnel issues where you just, he wasn't set up for success at Auburn. Um, you know, and, and that's unfortunate for him because, you know, his dad, I believe it was his dad played at Auburn. It was like the school he always wanted to go to. And it just, it didn't really work out beyond that first year um, when he won SEC freshman of the year. You look at his stats and you're like, this guy doesn't blow me away, but I think he's going to be a better product than Anthony Brown was. Um, you know, in the pro style offense, you're not going to see those design runs as much. I'm assuming it's going to be a pro style offense with Dillingham. You're not going to see those design runs like you saw with Anthony Brown, where he just kind of, you know, spurts for three, four yards every once in a while. And then, you know, every three, four games, he breaks off for a long one. Um, and so I, I think, you know, if he has to scramble, he's a very athletic mobile quarterback. Um, you know, the offensive line's not going to put him in some of those situations where he's turning around, doing some Russell Wilson stuff, doing donuts, you know, 10 yards backwards um, and having to, like you said, huck it down the field and make some magic happen. I don't think you're going to see that very much. Um, and the defenses, the the competition in the Pac-12 defense, no disrespect to the Pac-12's defenses, but they're just not on the level of SEC. So after week one, I feel like it's a, it's a big drop-off in terms of the level of defense he's going to be facing. So maybe that helps. Um, you know, I, I feel like you can't really get any tougher than the Alabama's and LSU's, most LSU defenses um, and Georgia's. A&M's like those defense are the top of the top in the Pac-12. They just don't really have those. Um, so if Bo Nix is the starter, I know I'm talking as if I'm assuming he's the starter, but if I'm, if he is the starter, I feel like you will get a better product than you will, you, you had with, with Anthony Brown last season. Yeah, I think that was a, another thing that I wanted to hit on a little bit was just how, the defenses he's gonna he's gonna be going against in the Pac-12 are you know significantly worse than the than the SEC. Um, so I feel like just knowing that, I mean, there's not really a, a defense except for maybe Utah uh, that that really I think you know gives you any kind of level of concern. Um, Washington maybe. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, any given year, yeah, with Washington, but I mean, maybe their offense, their identity is going to be shifting more towards offense with Kalen DeBoer. But I mean, usually they they had been one of the the better defenses in the Pac-12, especially their defensive backs. Um, but I feel like the level of defense that he'll be going against in Eugene and with Dan Lanning, I feel like that's really going to help. If you just look at who he's going to be competing against, you know, you know, running and running away from the Noah Sewell and the Justin Flows, like that's really going to help you. And then the big trench talent that they've added. I think that'll significantly help him, um, you know, hopefully get closer. I guess Oregon get closer to the, you know, practices are harder than games kind of a deal. I don't think that's the situation right now, but um, with the talent that we're seeing coming, I think it's it's certainly in the realm of possibility. And then another point that, that got brought up in the, com the comments that I thought was interesting because we were talking about development. I think this comment from Eric, he said, I'm worried Bo scrambles before he needs to, a savior complex sort of, and it gets sloppy. That's another thing that I think is a, a mark of a, of a, uh, you know, competent quarterback, you know, someone who's, uh, you know, has a good feel for the game. That was one of the things that I liked about Ty when we saw him in the spring game and in fall camp is I feel like he didn't scramble before he needed to, because you, that's a combination of having the confidence in your O-line to protect you 
and then also in yourself to, to stay in there and take a hit uh, if you need to, to, you know, let a guy run a couple more yards and, and get open. So I think that poise is definitely something that we've seen from some former Oregon quarterbacks, especially early on in their careers when you're looking at the Herberts and the Mariotas specifically. So um, if with, with Knicks, I feel like that that's probably one of the areas uh, for growth that I think we could kind of pinpoint early here as we, as we head into spring football. But um, like I said, or like, I think we both kind of said this with this playmaking ability, uh, it does come with some risk every now and then. Yeah. I think the, the phrase savior complex, that's a really good way to put it. Um, especially early in his career, it just seemed like he was trying to make, um, you know, heroic plays out of, out of nothing. And, um, you know, you, you saw that sometimes in the last season, um, you know, where he kind of did some crazy things, but you can't rely on a guy to, you know, do that kind of stuff, do some, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Hail Mary kind of stuff um, all the time. So, but, you know, in terms of the base of what you're going to get from Bo Nix, when he's got time and, a you know, a clean pocket, I really like how he moves through his progressions. Um, I, I really like his ability to, you know, put the ball in the numbers. I think he's got, um, you know, not necessarily an outrageous cannon of an arm, but he's got, you know, really good arm talent. And, you know, it's just consistency with him, I think is the biggest thing. Um, and it bounces around, you know, his decision-making one game to the next, you never really know sometimes um, the offensive line play. Um, of course, it depends on, you know, one week you're playing Vanderbilt and the next week you're playing Alabama, you know, it's just, it's the SEC. So, um, you know, things are going to change. Things are going to be way, way harder. Um, and in the Pac-12, on average, the defenses are kind of just that average. Um, and when you play against the Utahs and Washingtons, it's going to be a little tougher, um, as you saw. Um, you know, the passing offense against Washington last year was basically non-existent because Travis Dye ran all over him. And that's, I think, one thing that's going to be nice with Bo Nix is he's not going to have a ton of pressure on him to, you know, be kind of that savior to play heroic, you know, hero ball. You know, he can rely on that run game, Byron Cardwell, um, you know, Seven McGee, Sean Dollars, you know, Jordan James, you're just going to have a, a better run game and a better offensive line to have some more options. So where you don't have to be, you know, this guy to be, you know, a 4,000 yard passer to throw it, you know, 500 times. He just doesn't need to be that guy. And I don't think whoever starts needs to be that guy. Um, Cause you can have a well-balanced offense, um, you know, with whoever's out there. A good offensive line and a great run game are a quarterback's best friend. Uh, that's I think that's how the saying goes. And uh, it really feels like uh, whoever ends up getting the uh, QB1 job is going to be having that kind of in their back pocket to rely on. And then when you look at some of the weapons that, that Knicks or any of their quarterbacks are going to have at their disposal, a lot of them are very young, but I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, I think that, you know, it really feels like it's kind of like a, uh, an off season of innovation offensively for, for Oregon, uh, you know, with a young guy and Kenny Dillingham coming in and then, um, you know, a young guy or like a Ty Thompson or Jay Butterfield having a shot at, at winning the job. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to add about, about Bo Nix uh, while we're on, while we're talking about him before we move on to one of these young guys, Dylan? I think the poise is one thing that you, you talked about specifically with this comment at times you really see, you know, him kind of step up, into the pocket and be ready to take a hit. Um, and at times you saw him run around and, you know, just kind of freak out a little bit. So um, at Oregon, I, I feel like you like where Ty and Jay are at with that, at least from the limited bits that we've seen um, the spring game, 
they showed a lot of poise and a lot of trust in their offensive line and then their receivers. And Bo Nix is coming into a program where he's going to have new teammates. And, you know, maybe that takes a little bit of time. And week one, you're playing against Georgia. I'm sure that defense isn't going to take a colossal uh, step back um, after Dan Lanning leaves. And a lot of those guys go to the NFL. I, there's there's going to be a lot of talent on that defense. And you're basically playing in the Bulldogs' backyard in Atlanta. So, you know, it's going to be a crazy test. And I don't want people, whoever starts that game at quarterback, I don't want people to say, oh, this isn't the guy because he can't handle playing against the reigning champs, um, you know, in their in their backyard. Like, you know, if it's Bo Nix, whoever it's going to be, it's going to be their first start as an Oregon Ducks quarterback. And with Bo Nix, you know, he's, of course, got that SEC experience, but, you know, he's coming back from an injury. It's a new pro, uh, program, new teammates, all that stuff. I'm not trying to create excuses because I still think whatever happens, they, they have a pretty good shot at winning the game um, on paper. I just think that you can't create all this judgment, all this conclusions based on one game against the reigning national champions. Well, we got to see how Bonex and the rest of the QBs look in uh, the spring, spring game, and then as well as fall camp for that matter. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if this uh, quarterback decision is not made uh, by the end of spring football, just with uh, seeing how open it is. We're going to keep it rolling here on the Ducks Dish podcast, talking about our next quarterback in the Oregon room right after this ad break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome back. We are moving right along now to the next quarterback in uh, Oregon's QB room. Uh, that is really, I feel like, a big talking point of this offseason is uh, Ty Thompson. Um, you know, he's a guy that, that came to Oregon in that 2021 class and enrolled early. Um, you know, you already know the, the um, accolade that he has kind of coming in, the highest rated quarterback that the Oregon Ducks have signed. Um, with him, you know, earning five-star distinction on a couple of recruiting sites uh, towards the end of his senior season. Um, I think just the biggest thing with him is that it, it feels like he has all the makings of a star quarterback, but but we haven't really seen it um, with his limited playtime. You know, he came, again, came in against Stony Brook when Anthony Brown got shaken up, um, and then he came in a little bit against Colorado, I believe. But, um, yeah, man, I just feel like it's – it's not even so much that I think people want Ty to start. I mean, there's definitely a crowd of Duck fans that want Ty to start. Like, they're that's like 
the argument that they're going to have with you. But I think really, man, you just you just want to see him get a chance. And I think unless you're in that locker room and, you know, in the program, it's it's hard to tell, you know, how open like last year's quarterback competition was. So I think that's one thing that that Oregon fans are really hoping for is an open quarterback competition. And based on what Dan Lanning has told us is that it's going to be an open quarterback competition. So you figure with Ty being here all of last year and being an early enrollee, um, you think that he he should you know be able to make that jump heading into year two here. However, it is a new offensive coordinator and a new off- offensive system. So I feel like that's not really working in his favor. And um, you, know, you could talk about that not working in the offense's favor just with the new coordinators that we've seen coming through Eugene lately. Just again, Dylan, that, that theme of consistency that it really feels like Oregon hasn't had. I think Ty Thompson, if he wants to get the job, I think he's got to do it from day one. I think he's got to separate himself from day one in spring and just say, look, I'm, I'm trying to be this guy. I'm, I'm trying to get better every day. Um, you know, I'm going to make this my program because in my reality, it's in all reality, it's going to be a huge battle. I don't think there's a lot of, um, you know, with Jay Butterfield and Ty Thompson, it's really, really hard to tell who's, who's going to come out from there because they're both really talented and they've been with the program. Bo Nix has the experience, but I think in terms of the pure quarterback ability, it's going to be really tough to gauge who's going to be the number one guy to start. Um, and one thing that I know you mentioned on your notes, and you just said that he played against Colorado. In my mind, he threw an interception in that on his first drive, and Colorado went back and scored in the fourth quarter. It was in the middle of the fourth quarter. They were up by 16. Oregon was up by 16. And they put Anthony Brown back in because I don't think they trusted Ty Thompson to finish that game. That was a mighty mistake, in my opinion. And then again in the Alamo Bowl and maybe in one of those Utah games, honestly, I felt like that's a situation where you want to see your young quarterback and get him some of that experience because they only put him out there when they figured the game was over and done with. The Stony Brook game and the Colorado game, you know, a 16 point margin with what is it? Six minutes left. Yeah. Six minutes left. I just, I don't understand why you put Anthony Brown back in when you're up by 16. Um, you know, and Ty Thompson, yeah, he did make a, a bad read on that, made a bad throw. Um, but you know, that's, that's something you want to give him the chance to bounce back from. That's, that's what I really didn't understand about, you know, why you put Anthony Brown back in the game. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think he just deserves a chance. It's hard because, like you said, it's a new offensive system, um, some new faces on the offense, you know, personnel-wise. And then you go out there and game one is against Georgia. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a scary thought throwing a, a guy who's never started a game out there. Um, and it's, you know, but maybe that's a risk you want to take because, you know, you you have faith in this guy. Um, I totally agree with this with this comment about not playing him in the Pac-12 championship game. I was losing my mind about you know Anthony Brown still being out there in the in the second half when it was kind of over and done with, um, and even the Alamo Bowl. I don't even think Anthony Brown should have started that game in my opinion. Um, but I, I think Ty Thompson for me is you know a guy who you're going to see just come out with this edge in spring, and I think he has to because. You know, a lot of people are just kind of assuming Bo Nix is going to be that guy and just saying the competition's over. And it's not because there's still a lot of a lot of talent behind him 
And, you know, I really like Ty Thompson as a guy who's going to lead this football team. Um, I'm super excited to see what he looks like in, in spring because um, I liked what I saw, um, you know, the Stony Brook game. And I liked what I saw in the spring game. Um, you know, it's just you, there's things that you can fix. I, I think there's easy fixes, but it's just a little bit that we've seen. And it's, you know, people are just kind of holding on to that. And we just we should have seen more. I think that's really all I'm trying to say. We should have seen so much more last year. Totally agree. And I think another part of that, too, is it's funny because I feel like it's it's a, a similar conversation since I'm a Niner fan. You know, now <laughs> people are saying, like, you know, we don't know if uh, Jimmy G is going to be gone next year. I pray to God that Jimmy Garoppolo is not a 49er <laughs> next year. Um, but then it's the whole conversation that people are having, like, oh, is Trey Lance ready? And then it's like now you look at the Niner or the, the Ducks, excuse me. Um, you know, is Ty Thompson ready? You know, is how much has he grown from year one to year two is going to be, I think, one of the biggest questions. And for the most part, it's tough because how can this this staff really go about answering that question since they weren't here last year? Since we have so many new faces, and you can watch all the film you want, but again, I'm not trying to to sound like a pessimist here, but I just feel like that the more I think about it, I feel like it is a significant factor that you know, they're not having that offensive consistency. And I think that might be part of the reason that it's been so tough for Oregon to kind of break through, um, you know, into that that upper echelon, that next tier of college football teams. Um, but, like, you look at the game that Jim Moorhead had against, uh, you know, Ohio State, that was one of the best games he's, he called all year. So I think that that's uh, – maybe I'm getting a little sidetracked here, but um, I'm definitely excited to see what Ty has in store, you know, because, I mean, he, I covered him a lot throughout the recruiting process, and I'm excited to see, you know, how does he rally a team around him? You know, what does he look like in that spring game? And and how much is that spring game going to, you know, influence the decision that these coaches, you know, ultimately end up making? Um, I think that will be another factor as well, you know, seeing uh, kind of how the teams are composed because then you have to look at, okay, is it kind of a first string offense versus first string defense? I doubt that's what it's going to be like, but there's just a lot of factors at play here. Um, quarterback's a position that the Ducks got a hit on. And uh, I think they definitely have some, some guys that are more than capable in that room. And uh, there's one more that we got to talk about, but I don't want to, don't want to depart from Ty too early. We still have some more that we want to say. I just I was just watching his, uh, you know, the spring game a little bit, some of his highlights uh, just before we hopped on here. And, um, you know, he's a guy that can absolutely rip it. I, I love his his arm power. Um, you know, I think the one thing that I really want to see if it was my number one thing for him is just making his progressions and just using his eyes, um, you know, because sometimes you see him kind of stare down, um, you know, receivers a little bit in the spring game. Saw it against Colorado. It's where the pick came into play. Um, you know, just because he kind of stares people down. And look, he's he was a true freshman last year. You know, you're not expecting a guy to be, you know, Aaron Rodgers out of the gate. I know I keep saying Aaron Rodgers. You brought up the 49ers. I might as well, might as well bring us talk about our teams. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't really expect him to be a guy who's just, you know, got it all figured out. And so you're going to see him make those mistakes. And if he's the guy again, you're going to see him make those um mistakes because he's, you know, he's being thrown out into the fire a little bit. Um, and really anybody is. Um, and so is the guy that we're going to talk about, but you know, just, I, I think there's little things to fix with, with Ty Thompson, but he's got some of those intangibles, like you said, stepping up and in the pocket, trusting his offensive line, trusting his arm to make some of those throws. Um, and, you know, I, I really like the risk here. If Oregon decides to go with him, it's just, like you said, it's really hard to see them go, you know, against a, a 
you know, a guy who started three years in the SEC and, you know, has such that such of a connection with with the offensive coordinator. It's just it's hard in my mind to see, um, you know, them going with with Ty Thompson. But, man, I, could you imagine what, what Oregon Twitter <laughs> would be like if if, you know, before that Georgia game, they say Ty Thompson's the starting quarterback? Man, that would be that would be an event, to say the least. Man, that, that'd be wild. I, I feel like I saw another comment um, that I would want to talk about here in a second, but let's introduce the the last guy that we want to talk about, um, you know, last, last but certainly not least, um, Jay Butterfield. You know, it's the name that I think everyone just kind of buries uh, in the quarterback discussion, um, you know, because you look at the game that Robbie Ashford had last year in that spring game, the hype that was come that Ty came in with with the program, but Jay Butterfield was was a, a pretty highly rated quarterback coming out of high school in his own right. So I think he's certainly worthy of uh, you know a mention and um, you know some discussion here in in the the quarterback room. Um, he's the tallest quarterback on the roster. I think he's six five, six six around there, um, and you know he definitely resembles more of the the pro style quarterback um, with. Uh, you know, with what the with what Ty and, and Bo kind of look like with their skill sets looking like they're more kind of dual threat kind of guys. But um even with, with Butterfield being the the traditional passer, you know, teammates I feel like all last year at the press conferences and we were asking about the quarterbacks, you know, they were, you know, they were quick to defend him and saying, you know, just because he's tall and, and you know a big dude doesn't mean he can't, you know, ha- he has some wiggle to his game when he needs to make some plays on the ground and and um this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with I feel like most modern college football um quarterbacks being dual threat like i feel like that's kind of what most people go for at this point we were talking about trevor lawrence earlier and i feel like he wasn't too much of a dual threat quarterback at least that's not what he was known for you know he had uh, some pretty nice runs i think he had a really long run in um one of the natties if i remember that correctly but um I, i say all that to say that you don't need a dual threat quarterback to to be successful um, it's just a little hard to figure it out which one fits better because we don't know what Kenny Dillingham's offense is going to look like. But if he's talking about fast pace, up tempo, then I feel like you kind of lean more towards a dual threat quarterback. But I feel like Butterfield might be the best pure passer in this room, just from the the throwing motion that I've seen that from him. Um, you know, when we've been able to see him throw in person, so just kind of again. Similarly with Ty, even more so, we just haven't really seen him get a shot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you mentioned the thing with Trevor Lawrence and you said in one of those natties, I'm like, oh gosh, what a what a pleasure <laughs> that would be just to say one of those national championship games that they were in. Um, no, I, I absolutely loved what I saw from Jay Butterfield in, in the spring game. Um, and I, I know you got to watch him a little bit as well in person and um I mean, my goodness, he's got a really, really good touch on the ball. Like that first snap, I think it was first or second snap of, you know, that drive that he came in, he just threw a absolute beauty to Troy Franklin on the right, um, you know, right in stride, right on the right sideline. Um, you know, he had a couple other ones that he was just kind of ripping it down the field. Um, my, maybe not the arm talent, maybe not the cannon arm that Ty Thompson has, but, you know, like you said, I think he's the best pure passer on this team. Um, I think he was on last year's team too. If you, you know, if you go back that far, um, great size, six, six, two twenty in that area. Um, yeah. I don't think he's completely helpless when, when he's out there on his own scrambling, um, you know, he's got a little bit of athleticism to it as a, 
you know, Pat McAfee says he's got some uh, a sneaky athleticism. Um, you like to see him get out there and, and run a little bit if he has to. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be afraid to see that. But yeah, in terms of passing ability, if you want to kind of run that pro style offense, I think Jay Butterfield would be the best fit. Um, but he has the least experience. And again, that's just what it comes down to, what the priority is for this coaching staff. Are they just going to lean on that experience because they've got it? Do they take a risk and look at the actual quarterback that they have? Um, because in my mind, Jay Butterfield is, you know, maybe he's not the the dual threat quarterback that you think would fit a more fast paced offense, you know. Um, but I, I think he's very, uh, he, I think he's a complete passer. Um, there's not a lot of throws in my mind that I don't think he can make. He's thrown it into some tight windows. He throws it on the numbers. Um, he's got good zip to the ball, you know, goes through his progressions, really, really poised and calm. Um, doesn't really get that happy feet. I felt like Ty Thompson had a little bit of the happy feet um, when he got out there in the regular season. Um, you know, nothing that you should be really worried about, but I, I think, you know, Jay Butterfield just seemed a little bit more poised in that regard to me. Um, so I don't, I don't want people to count out Jay Butterfield at all. I'm, you know, I'm trying to speak like I'm president of the Jay Butterfield fan club here, but um, I, I love the fact that he's, you know, people are still including him and not just like as Bo Nix and Ty Thompson. And then there's Jay Butterfield. Like, I don't want it to be like that. It's, you know, it's the three of them. They all have a shot at this. And Jay Butterfield, in my mind, was one I was a little scared when Bo Nix came in that he was going to transfer just because so many people were talking about Ty Thompson is the future of Oregon football and Jay Butterfield was just getting left out of those conversations. And maybe he's, he's not going to make that too deep. Um, and I just think he's, he's a guy that does deserve a shot. Um, and I would, I'd hate to see him go, but you know, if, if it's Bo Nix and then Ty Thompson throughout the year and you kind of see him get buried again, then I, I feel like it would be best for him to see what else is out there because Bo Nix has two years of eligibility Maybe we're in the same situation again next year too. Another thing that might be worth noting with uh, with Butterfield um, is he's been on campus the longest out of any of these quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. uh, he was an early enrollee in the 2020 class, so he's been around this team the longest, um, which maybe is an underrated factor to, to be considered here um, when we're looking at the quarterback competition. Uh, another thing just on Bo Nix is, uh, we're talking about off-air, I think, but he did have ankle surgery in November. So we don't totally know what his, uh, what he's looking like right now from a health standpoint. I'm not trying to insinuate anything. I'm just saying we literally don't know. Um, so that could be a factor in this competition as well. And uh, one of the uh, kind of big picture things that I wanted to hit on again here is just with all these transfers coming in, I think I saw someone comment earlier on in the show saying, you know, fans are tired of rotating quarterbacks all the time um, is I feel like, some people maybe think that, uh, you know, if you do go with the younger quarterback, that you kind of have to sacrifice the season. And I think that might be why it's such a tricky deal for Oregon, because like we were talking about at the top, like it feels like they're one quarterback away because like the rest of the roster is pretty solid. I know that the secondary is pretty young and they need to have an edge rusher and we, uh, a new edge rusher step up without KT. But um this, the whole concept of like an, an investment in the future, which I think a lot of fans at this point would look at starting one of the younger guys. So Mikey G said here, Herbie went four and eight his first season. That was acceptable as an investment in the future, seeing how well they did in the 2019 season. How did that pan out? So this was part of a bigger conversation in the comments, but 
I just thought it was a really cool perspective to kind of include in the show, you know, as we kind of have this conversation about, you know, will they go with the transfer in Bonix or will they have go with, you know, one of the younger guys that they recruited out of high school in Ty Thompson or Butterfield and invest in the future. This was something I was definitely looking forward to talking about because there was a lot of people that were saying, so you're saying we should go four and eight if we start a guy like Ty Thompson or Jay Butterfield. And I, I think about like the 2011-12 transition from Darren Thomas to Marcus Mariota. 2011, you know, they they win the Rose Bowl and then the next year they're 12-1 and one with Mariota in his first year. And one thing that I really want to think about is like what would have happened if they – that coaching staff with Chip Kelly, what if the transfer portal was a thing, you know, maybe do, does Marcus Mariota ever get a chance that year? Do they get in a guy who's got a couple years of starting experience? And, you know, does that just kind of start off a whole different era of Oregon football where they just kind of stick around to these experienced quarterbacks? That was, that was a risk because Mariota was a red shirt in 2011. Didn't see any playing time really. Um, and then they, they come in and they, or in my mind, I thought the 2012 team was as good, if not better, than the the 2011 team. Um, and so I really think that it's it's not that huge of a risk in my mind, just because there's so much talent around a guy like Thompson or Butterfield. If they are the guy, I just don't see a way that they go four and eight, five and seven. Maybe there's a little bit of a drop from last year. And again, that's probably a given no matter what happens, just because you're getting a new quarterback and a new system, whole new coaching staff. It might be hard to expect another 10 win season. Um, you know, just generally speaking, trying to be as unbiased as I can be here. Um, I just think that it's hard to just assume that making an investment in a guy who has no starting experience and not a lot of playing experience is just you know, tanking in a sense um, and just saying, Hey, let's just get him going and him alone going. And then maybe we can put something together in the future. I don't think that's, that's the case. Yeah. So there's a lot of good talent, uh, you know, already on board in Eugene, like you mentioned, Dylan. And then I also think, I don't know, I, I don't want to say it's like you're, I don't want to, put it out there that like, I think Oregon's not going to do well next year, but like with a first year head coach with, you know, overhauling so much of the staff, it, it, it makes sense to reason that there could be a little bit of a drop off with Oregon. I'm not saying that's going to be the case, but it would certainly stand to reason that maybe expectations shouldn't be as high as, you know, after they beat Ohio state last year, I mean, people were thinking playoffs national championship appearance. And I don't think that's necessarily the case here. So I'm sure we'll get more into that, you know, with record speculation, schedule predictions and all that good stuff. But um, maybe with a new head coach coming in, it, it feels like it would be the perfect time to, to go with one of the younger guys on the roster. But complicating the matter for a lot of people, I think, is this game against Georgia to start the year because it is pretty daunting to, to put a, a first-time starter in into a situation like that. Well, yeah, Mariota's first game was against Arkansas State. If they played Alabama week one, do you think Mariota starts? And if the, again, if the transfer portal was a thing, do you think they, you know, make a decision there? So it's just a totally different time of college football. You you schedule these um, non-conference games that you know can kind of make or break your season almost if you if you don't win those. Um, but again, it's nice that it's at the beginning of the year so they can try to make 
a vengeance of that 2019 run where they lost to Auburn week one and then kind of start running the table. And then, you know, maybe they get a game like Arizona state, but um, yeah, the, in my, I think the, the schedule is really tough. I know people were, were saying it's an easier one than last year. I don't know if I'd say that um, just because, you know, Utah's still probably going to be really good. You get them at home, which is good. Um, you know, playing in, I'm going to sound like a lunatic, but playing in Tucson is not going to be easy. I know they've won one game in the last two years, but that team got a lot better, and it's hard to play in Tucson when you're the Oregon Ducks for some reason. Sorry I had to say it, but it's it's just a, it's just a curse for some reason to play in Tucson, just like it is to play in Tempe. Um, and so it's going to be tough for any of the quarterbacks to, to come in there and, you know, put up a, a kind of season like they had last year. Um, where, you know, they beat in Ohio State and they just kind of roll from there. Um, and you just have to factor in the Pac-12. The Pac-12, in my opinion, got better this year, um, I think, from head to toe, except for Cal. I think Cal got a lot worse. Um, I, I, you just can't count out the cannibalistic factor of the Pac-12, where Oregon can come into, you know, Boulder or go into um, – Tucson and just kind of lay an egg and you know with a new coaching staff whole new system you know it's it's not you you can't just give them that game um you know you can't say like hey this team is way better on paper than Arizona they're gonna win that game um anything can happen in the Pac-12 and especially if it's after dark um as we all as we all know so one of the comments said our expectations should be tempered but relatively high yeah, it's Oregon football. It's, you know, you're definitely going to keep your expectations high. The Dan Lanning era, he's such a, you know, a highly regarded head coach. He brought in this crazy good um, coaching staff from top uh, top to bottom. Expectations should be high. I think this is still a really good football team. It's just there's a lot of new to it. There's still a lot of youth, um, not just on the roster, but in the coaching staff. It's not going to be easy, especially when you have to play Georgia and BYU in two of your first three games. Um, you know, I just don't think you should be screaming national championship Rose bowl right away. Just try to keep those a little bit tempered because, you know, I'm not saying it's going to be four and eight, five and seven, but it, you know, it probably won't live up to those crazy expectations that I've seen some people have. Um, but give it time. I, I think this, you know, if they, if they get Ty Thompson, some more playing time at the least or Jay Butterfield, some more playing time at the least, um, I think, I think they'll be in a better shape going forward, but I don't think this is a, you know, a national championship or break type of season, um, in, in 2022, just because of how new everything's going to be. Would have really been nice if, uh, one of those guys could have gotten some playing time in the Alamo bowl, but, uh, that's not the situation that the Ducks find themselves in. Um, for the schedule next year, I think that that's the one thing that is favorable is a lot of their toughest games are at home. Uh, definitely nice to have BYU at home. Um, and I also think just when you're looking at the grand the big picture, like obviously you want to win a game like the Georgia game, but if they were to lose that game, it's not the end of the world, um, which maybe I think gives some reason for why you do end, do end up going with a younger quarterback in that game. Because um, I know a lot of people are saying, you know, you want to put Bowen in that game because he's the most experienced guy and that's a huge game and it's got, you know, it's another chance for Oregon to kind of, you know, the whole put up or shut up type deal like they did when they scheduled Ohio State. Um, so we've talked about, you know, all three guys on the roster. 
Um, feel like we've had some great conversation here. Lots of awesome comments. Sorry we couldn't get to all of them today. Um, hopefully my internet wasn't too terrible, but we're, we're just over an hour here. So we're going to kind of start winding down uh, on kind of a fun note, Rube. Uh, you got a new chair. How's that thing treating you? <laughs> yeah, it looks like I'm a judge on the voice, doesn't it? A little bit. Um, it's like I'm you're ready to turn around out. and hit your. Hit I know. Your and turn <laughs> yeah, it's pretty nice, isn't it? Um, yeah, my back is better off. Um, so I, I'm I'm wondering if you were going to make a comment about that. But yeah, I'm pretty relaxed. It's uh, you know, it's not like 15 years old anymore. So I, I'm very content. I love to hear it because I need to get a new chair myself uh, once I get back to Eugene. Um, but any kind of final thoughts here on this uh, quarterback situation that you wanted to add before we hopped on out of here? I just have a feeling people are going to say I'm like anti-Oregon. I'm, I'm a pessimist because I said, keep your expectations low. Um, <laughs> I'm just waiting for, for, the, for the fan mail to come my way. But uh, no, I'm, I'm just excited about the situation they're in, um, you know, even though it may not seem like it after what I just said. Um, Bo Nix is one of those guys that, like I said, I think his ceiling is um, still pretty high. I don't think he's reached his potential. If he's the starting quarterback, I feel better than I did going into last year and even the year before with Tyler Shuck and Anthony Brown. I was a little bit lower on Tyler Shuck than some others were, um, you know, going into that year. Um, so I think Bo Nix is a guy that I'm, I'm excited for if he's if he's the starting quarterback. Um, I'm excited to see what the offense looks like. It feels like we say that every year because it feels like they're just running through offensive coordinators and systems. Um, but I, I like Kenny Dillingham. I like that it's kind of built to maintain um, success. I feel like it's built to develop guys from, you know, if it's Ty Thompson or Jay Butterfield, I feel like it would be set up for them to kind of grow in this offense and grow with Kenny Dillingham and Dan Lanning. So whatever happens, I'm excited. Um, I don't think it's a lose situation if they start one guy over the other. Um, I think there's more risk involved with starting one, one of the younger guys. Um, but there was a risk in bringing in Bo Nix. Um, and I'm excited that both Ty and Jay stuck around. Um, and, you know, I'm excited to see who kind of comes out on top here. Definitely excited uh, to see kind of how this quarterback competition shakes out. I think that all three guys are definitely capable. Um, it's not really a position where you're like, oh, man, I kind of wish we weren't in this situation in terms of the talent that you have to choose from. I think all guys are capable. Um, but it's, uh, it's uh, you know, something that's kind of become the norm here uh, for, for the Ducks is, you know, having a quarterback competition. So I think that's probably part of the reason that some some fans want to go with the, one of the younger guys just for the the long term picture, um, you know, for a long term solution at quarterback. And then with um, with Bo Nix being a guy that has two years of eligibility left, that's uh, I don't know. I, I don't want to say it's complicated, but it's not your typical you know um, transfer situation. I guess that we've kind of come used to seeing grad transfers come in, um, but. That's all we have on the, the quarterbacks, Dylan. Where can people find more of you as we uh, wind down here? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at DRK Sports News. Um, follow me on Instagram if you'd like at Dylan Rubin King. I believe that's what it still is. Um, you can find my work on Ducks Digest and also find our work. Um, I work with the Transfer Portal CFB, little college football site that we run um, or that I run called at T Portal CFB on Twitter. Right on. If you guys want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter. At that name on your screen there, Adam Torres Sports. You can also follow Dish, 
Uh, I just made a new uh, Twitter for the podcast. That's just at Ducks Dish. So definitely follow us over there. Um, and we'll be posting some more of our podcasting com- content over there. And then um, you can also check out Ducks Digest forums where we have some more uh, discussion that we're kind of just trying to get going around the Ducks. And then obviously check out DucksDigest.com for all of our written content. Um, and then check out some of our other podcasts. I just brought Dave Yuli on. He's a 2022 Oregon offensive line signee. Uh, the podcast is available here on YouTube. If you want to stay on my channel and, and uh, stick around and subscribe. And then you can also find that on Apple podcasts and Spotify. So uh, however you guys were tuning into this episode of the Dutch Dish podcast, really appreciate you guys stopping by and spending some time with us. We will catch you guys in the next episode. We're going to start looking at some of the other position groups, uh, both, you know, with written content and here on the podcast. So you guys have that to look forward to. Uh, But for Dylan Rubin King, I'm Max Torres. We will see you guys in the next episode. Take care. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.